Okay, let's just, uh, let's just lift Seb up in prayer as he brings God's word to us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Seb, and Lord, we thank you that you have been spending this time together preparing for today. This is a day that you have made, and we ask you to come and anoint him again. Anoint his lips to preach your word. And Lord, we pray that out of the preaching of your word today, that lives will be changed in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all. You survived the heat on Monday and Tuesday. I think we just about made it. Come Tuesday afternoon, we uh, Tuesday evening, we pretty much had enough, but the kids were uh, able to sleep, so that was the main thing. And um, I just had an impression just this week. Uh, I think it was on Thursday. I was walking with a friend uh, in Trent's Country Park. And uh, really strange, actually, because obviously the heat had gone by then. And as we, sorry, no, it was Wednesday. As we came around the, uh, the corner and in the kind of wooded area, there was a tree stump that was on fire. And uh, we assumed that maybe somebody had put like a, you know, like a cigarette butt or something in there. And this thing was really smoking. There were embers and this kind of smoke was going up. It was just a really, really weird sight. And I can't get that picture kind of out of my mind over the last few days. And I just wonder if, for me, and maybe this is just for me, maybe this is for somebody here, but you know, what was happening on Monday and Tuesday, we were beginning to see these reports of wildfires starting. And then come Wednesday and Thursday, there were additional reports about how actually they may have been deliberate attempts to start these fires, particularly in London. And it just struck me that when the land is dry and arid, it is particularly vulnerable to attack. It is particularly vulnerable to the enemy coming in and doing something that is destructive. And uh, I just felt an impression this morning that I don't know where we've all come from this week and I don't know what we've come in with this week, but it might just be that you know that uh, in your sense there is a dryness in your spirit, there's an aridness. And I, I just want to share with you uh, that the Lord is wanting to come and refresh you again. He wants to come by the power of his spirit again and to fill you again. And in the pre-service prayer meeting, uh, Sean was just sharing about this sense of a fresh kind of wave of his spirit, just kind of refreshing people. So if that's you this morning and you know that there's just that sense of a dryness, don't be vulnerable. Don't be vulnerable to what the enemy might do with that. But take the opportunity later to come forward for prayer. We would just love to pray for you and stand with you as, uh, as family. So um, <clears throat> we're carrying on this series of Mark, which is going on through the summer. Delighted to say that next Sunday, Ola's going to be speaking. Uh, I'm going to pick up the following Sunday. And then after that, into August, I think it's the 14th, Tony, uh, Ola's daughter, will be speaking. And then uh, Tony, uh, this man, will be speaking on the 21st, and we'll be finishing off with Joshua on the 28th of August as we kind of bring in the series to land. But when we started this series a few weeks ago, we started at the end of Mark, and just to kind of, kind of remind ourselves, because it's so important to what Mark is saying, he finishes his gospel with telling us how the women were amazed at what they had experienced, and that there's this thread that goes right through the gospel of Mark, where he is continually reminding us 
of who Jesus is and how we are to be amazed. And followers and non-followers, those who took him at his word and those who rejected him, over and over and over again through the gospel, we read how they were continually amazed at what he said and what he did. And often that amazement was a reconfiguring, a reframing of what they thought was previously normal. And we see it a bit in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, which is a well-known passage in Mark 4 of Jesus calming the storms. And uh, it starts with the humanity of Jesus because we find him asleep after a particularly busy period. He is asleep in the boat. I don't know if you've ever slept so hard. Uh, You were so tired that you slept through something particularly significant. Uh, I did hear a story on Friday of somebody who slept so hard they slept all the way through a country whilst they were on a train and uh, missed the country and ended up in a different country. That's no name. I'm not looking anywhere. I'm not going <clears> to <throat> mention any names. But um, maybe you can kind of identify a bit with, with Jesus in this. He is asleep and he's missing what's going on. But Mark is making the point again. That whilst we see the humanity of Jesus at the beginning of the story, we are going to see the divinity and power of Christ at the end. So let me read it to you. Mark 4, 35. On that day, I better get my glasses. When evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? And there's a few things just to know for the background that kind of help us understand what Mark is highlighting to us here. Firstly, uh, the Sea of Galilee isn't a sea, it's a lake. And uh, it kind of sits within a bowl-like shape. And so in this bowl, there's like a myriad of crosswinds that often come, particularly between the uh, months of November and March. And as these crosswinds combine, so too, uh, even today, you will see storms quickly arise on the Sea of Galilee in this lake. And so uh, they can come quickly and without warning. You may be particularly peaceful as you set off. Things may look good. The horizon may be clear. But without any particular warning or even being able to forecast it, these storms would come and almost come from nowhere. Now, the other thing that we need to know is that the ancient Hebrews were not a seafaring nation. Uh, For them, the sea did not represent an opportunity for prosperity or defense. There was no naval force. And in the ancient Hebrew world, there was no ports for trading. So they didn't see it as something to be celebrated and utilized. Rather... It was part of their tradition that the sea represented chaos and disorder. So in Genesis, we read that it's actually the sea that demonstrates God's power because it is the sea that is kind of kicking up. This is kind of uh, deep 
kind of beast of something that is beyond chaos, and it's the spirit of the Lord that hovers over it and brings it into submission. In the story of Israel as they, uh, and the, the Exodus, as they leave Egypt, where is it that God takes them to demonstrate his power? He takes them to the edge of the Red Sea. And on the edge of the Red Sea, he demonstrates his power, not by lifting them over the sea or taking them around the sea, but by moving the sea itself because it was ingrained into them that this was something to be feared. In Job, it talks about the monster of the sea. In Isaiah, it talks about the beast of the sea. The sea represented as a motif for these people something to be feared. It was disorderly and it was chaos. And these were fishermen. And if you've ever been to a traditional fishing place, uh, there used to be a BBC One programme about this fishing village in Scotland. I don't know if you ever saw it. But they all had a deep fear and respect of the sea because they'd seen how the sea had taken their loved ones over the generations. And so when they see this storm kick up, fear grips the disciples. Now, they kind of do the right thing, don't they? I mean, I think we're all told in Sunday school that if we are concerned and if we feel fear that we're to go to Jesus, and that's exactly what they do. And so they wake him up. He's in the stern of the boat. He gets up. He calms and speaks to the storms and brings them in submission. And then he rebukes them. He rebukes them. And there's a couple of things, I think, that we can take from their interaction with Jesus and that Mark is highlighting. The first one is this. You will note that they were already afraid when the storm came, but they were already, and they were still afraid after Jesus spoke. They were still afraid after Jesus spoke. Why, why is that? Now, the two words here for fear. The first one is that when they were afraid of the storms, it was this cowardly kind of fear. That this kind of thing, as I said, was so kind of ingrained into them that when they saw it happen, they were seriously concerned about their well-being, seriously concerned about their lives. No doubt they would have known people that would have died in storms in that very region. And so that first fear they had was something that probably we can all identify with. But the second fear was after Jesus spoke. And that word is more like a reverent fear. You see, it was one thing seeing this big storm on the horizon and being afraid of that. But then seeing this Jesus speak to the thing that they were generationally scared of and bring it into submission just by the power of words, that was even more fearsome. That was even more big. That was even greater than the storm itself was to see Jesus just speak and bring peace and bring this thing under control and submission. And that was a different kind of fear. In Proverbs 10.9, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Now, over the years, I've heard lots of people try and present that text and say, well, fear means respect. But the problem with that is that it doesn't say the respect of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. 
And why is it that actually in fearing the Lord that that somehow gives us access to all wisdom? Folks, it's wisdom for life. This wisdom that Proverbs is telling us is not just wisdom in a kind of spiritual, ethereal sense. It's wisdom in terms of how we live. It's wisdom how we do family. It's wisdom how we do work. It's wisdom how we relate to each other. It's wisdom for how we are church together. It's wisdom for how we fix broken relationships, fix broken marriages. It's wisdom for how we make key decisions in life. And the key to that wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the reason for that is because it puts the Lord in his rightful place. And it puts us in our rightful place. You see, when we see the Lord as all-powerful, that he is so powerful that even with the, the, the words of his mouth, that he can bring even the wind and waves in submission, suddenly we begin to see where he is and where we are. And more than that, it brings us under his authority. It gives us a sense of authority. And I know that in the world we live in, the cultural oxygen we live that is not a popular thing to think. Because the cultural oxygen we breathe in and out is not of submitting to authority. It's to despise authority. It's to be suspicious of authority. But when we put him in his rightful place, it shapes how we do life. It shapes those key moments and those key decisions. Now, I want you to imagine, I've wrestled with this for some time. Let's imagine right now that a fully grown, hungry, adult lion walked in to the building. Now, some of you might think, I could take the lion. And I want to tell you, you can't. Right? It just won't happen. If you think you can take the lion, you've already lost. A hungry lion would be able to absolutely have the power to essentially do with us whatever it wanted to do. But let's imagine that this all-powerful lion that was more powerful than us came into the room, but instead of being aggressive or instead of being intimidating, this lion was friendly and warm and welcoming. That this lion actually wanted to come alongside us and maybe it goes up to Tony and gives him a, a big lick on the face, you know? Or maybe it's like kind of just, just wandering around there'd be this sense in us that we would recognize that this thing was all-powerful. But the fact that this thing is all-powerful and wants to be with us, the fact that it wants to embrace us, it would lead us into a different kind of intimacy. And it's just a glimpse of how we are to relate to the Lord the fact that he holds all these things in his breath, the fact that all creation is sustained and held by him, the fact that he breathes out light, that in the, in the genesis of creation, he is present as light is breathed out and planets are formed and winds and waves are formed and seasons are formed. And that this powerful God, who literally like this can bring all of those things under submission, still wants to welcome us, still calls us friends still makes us ambassadors, still comes and dwells with us, still comes and lives with us. Isn't that just a phenomenal thought? And when we remind ourselves of that daily, when we 
let that press into our hearts daily, Proverbs says. That's the beginning of all wisdom. That's the beginning of all wisdom. And this is what the disciples were encountering in this moment. It was a different kind of fear. The second question is, why the rebuke? Like I said, I think they did the right thing. I'm like, what else could they have done? And Jesus says, you know, where's your faith? So the question I have is, well, what would faith have looked like if you were in the boat facing the storm that's about to kill you? What would faith look like? For me, it would still be the same result because your faith is in Jesus, right? You'd still do the same thing. If you were full of faith, maybe you wouldn't be quite so worried, but you'd still go to him, wouldn't you? You'd still wake him up and say, uh, excuse me, Storm, could you do that thing and bring this under submission? That would still be faith. So why the rebuke? Listen to what they say. Teacher, do you not care? Do you not care? We are dying here, and you don't even care. Anybody identify with that emotion? Anybody been in that season where you felt the storms kick up, and you're like, where are you? You don't even care about what's going on, let alone showing yourself in this situation. You don't even care. You seem distant from me right now. Like, I think this is a really normal human emotion. But the mistake they made was that they questioned the character of God. They questioned his character. And in so doing, they let fear overtake their faith. They forgot who they had in the stern of the boat. Friends, fear... In the world that we live in, where it feels like we have so many things to fear, we only have to turn on the news for half a minute now, and most of it is about things that we should fear. It's important for us to recognize that fear, although it is not a sin, when fear overtakes our faith, it leads to a godless vision of the future. You see, when fear overtakes our faith, we look out into the horizon and we see the storms kicking up and we see the circumstances, but we don't see God in the storm. We don't see Jesus in the storm. We don't trust his character and nature because we're so overcome with this sense of fear and has robbed us of seeing a future where he is present. Fear, when it overtakes our faith, it makes us, frankly, ineffective when we're so swallowed by the storms and we look out to the horizon and we see nothing else, it can paralyze us. We're so worried about making another mistake. We're so worried about what somebody might think. We're so worried that things won't go for us. And so actually all we want to do is just kind of sit where we are and it kind of just takes away the power of being able to do something. Fear when it overtakes our faith. Folks, it makes us so inward-looking. I don't know if you've been there, but I have. When the storm is so raging, when it is so on the horizon and around us and in us and beating down on us, 
what can tend to happen is that we just begin to internalize everything. And we think, you know what? All I can control is what's six inches in front of me. That's all I can do. And so you begin to forget that there are other people in your life. You to forget that there's a church community, that there are friends looking to you, there are friends looking to support you. You forget all these other things that God has given to us as a grace, and you forget that he is present with us. And so when fear replaces our faith, it robs us. It robs us of his presence in our lives. The most frequently spoken of command in the whole of the scriptures is this. Fear not. Fear not. It's spoken 150 times, there or thereabouts. And the reason I think that it is so popular and it is articulated so clearly and so simply for us is because as human beings, we will always lurch towards fear. And it's like the Lord is just, again, putting these threads in the scripture, these golden threads and saying, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't let the storm overcome you. If you've got your Bible, I just want to uh, turn briefly to Luke 24. And we'll pick it up in uh, pick it up in verse thirty six. Now the disciples at this stage, <clears throat> this is post uh, the crucifixion, but before they'd seen the resurrected Christ, they are hiding out through fear in the upper room. And essentially, their fear is pretty understandable. They've just seen what's happened to Jesus, and there's a concern that they're going to be next. And so they become paralyzed. Do you remember that? They suddenly internalize everything. Suddenly all they can do is control what's right in front of them. So they're in this kind of fear, this bubble of fear, and they're hiding out in the upper room. And then Jesus, I think partly to play a prank on them, appears. Uh, Some people believe that he kind of just appeared through the wall. And this is the interaction that they have. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is me myself. Touch me and see. That interaction is not by accident. You see, when we talk about Jesus being present in the storms, we are not talking about an ethereal God. We are talking about a God who sidles up to his disciples and says, I know you're afraid. I see that you're afraid. And the answer to your fear is to come and touch the wounds. It's to come and touch the wounds. It's not to get your theology straight. The answer to your fear is not to try and work this out in some kind of philosophical manner that puts everything in logical order. The answer to your fear is to come and press the tangible wounds of the crucifixion. Why is that? Because it is impressing the tangible wounds of the resurrected body of Christ that the disciples know, they know that there's nothing else to fear. Why? Because he's conquered the great storm. It is Jesus that has conquered the great storm of death. 
It is Jesus has conquered the dragon of death. And when he conquers the great storm of death, then they can have confidence in every other storm that is going to arise. When Peter preaches the gospel in Acts 2, he doesn't have to fear. He goes from a coward to the most brave apostle that we see because he's pressed the wounds of the resurrected Christ. When the disciples are dragged before the authorities and they say, we're not going to stop. Just so you know, we're not going to stop. And when they're put into prison and they sing, why are they so fearless and bold? Because they pressed the wounds of Christ. When Paul is sunken three times on a ship, he's flogged within an inch of his life. He's stoned within an inch of his life. Why is he so fearless? Because he too has encountered the resurrected Christ. You see, friends, when we know that this Jesus has conquered the ultimate storm, when he has spoken into the ultimate storm, and when he has brought the ultimate storm in submission, so too we can know that in our storms, that in all of our storms, he is present. We do not have to question his character. We do not have to question his power. Because we too know the resurrected body of Christ. We too know the wounds of Christ that has shown us that he is the ultimate overcomer. And so, as he conquers the great storm, so too he is in the storms that we face. He can be in the storms of family difficulties. Now, I'm sure none of us have those. We had a really difficult one yesterday (laughs) with four kids. Oh, my goodness. But he's in that storm. He's in the storm when health fails. Because he's conquered the ultimate storm, we can have confidence that he's in that storm. He's in the storm when finances are difficult. Because he's conquered the ultimate storm, we can know that he's in that storm. He's in the storms of addiction. He's in the storms of brokenness. He's in the storms where friendships break and there's a a mistrust. He is present in all of those things. And we are not to question his character or his power. How did it end for the disciples? It ended with Mark saying this. They looked at each other and said, Who then is this? Who then is this? You see, they'd already seen him do stuff. They'd already seen him heal people. They'd already sensed him calling them, and they dropped everything and went with him. They already held him in this high esteem. But when he conquered the storm, when he conquered their chief and ultimate fear, that was something else. That was something else. He reframed something for them. And they had to reframe just who he was. And so, folks, when it comes to fear and storms, some of us have had... Uh, prior storms and by the grace of God he has healed us from them and that's good some of us had prior storms and if we're honest 
sometimes they still kick up in our lives. They still cause us that sense of fear. Some of us are in storms right now. Some of us are looking out into the horizon and you can feel the breeze beginning to kick up. But the point of Mark's story is this. Who is Jesus in that? He's bringing us around to see Jesus in the storm. Who then is this? And so I want to pray. And um, why don't we just stand together if that's okay, if you're able. And Father, we welcome you here by your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for those who are still feeling the effects of prior storms. I pray for those who are encountering storms right now. And Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit, would you come and minister to hearts in this place? Would you come now and give us fresh sense a fresh revelation of your greatness. Would you come and give us a fresh encounter with you in the stern of the boat? We just pray for more of you, Lord. More of you, Lord. I want to invite you, if, uh, if we can pray for you, we would love to pray for you. And we can do that in a couple of ways. You can come forward, and we would just love to stand with you. And we don't have to know the detail because the Lord knows. But we would just love to stand with you and just commit whatever's going on to the Lord. Uh, if you want to stay where you are, but you would love somebody to pray for you, just raise a hand or let a neighbor know. And if the ministry team could just be aware and just be looking. The Holy Spirit's just resting on some of you right now and beginning to move. And in the meantime, we're going to continue to worship.
Okay, we're going to close our service now, but we just want to read out the words that came in the pre-service prayer meeting this morning. So as we close, the Lord's still doing business. So please, if these words or anything else resonates with you, do come forward. There will be people here at the front who will want to pray with you. There was a, a sense that someone, um, it was felt it was a mother, was struggling with time, and they were struggling with spending time with Jesus, and they were feeling guilty and unworthy. And the word for you today is, you know, even if it's five minutes, it's enough. Don't be, don't be upset. Don't be uh, feeling that you're letting the Lord down, because you're not. The word, the Lord is able to do abundantly more than we can ever imagine. There was the word, lean on me. There was the word, Jesus is for you, he's not against you. He can do anything. And there was a picture of uh, a building, a building site going up. And the foundation stone was already laid but there were bricks to be put onto the construction and we are those bricks and we want to allow God to build build us together and build us to last so if anything resonates with you as I say please come forward and we'll just close in prayer and the music will go on so feel free to leave if you have to but Let's, uh, let's not leave if you need prayer. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the, the words that you're bringing us. And Lord, as we leave this place today, I just want to pray that you would bless each and every one of us and help us, Lord, as we go into this next week to just reflect Jesus wherever we go to whoever we see. Amen. Your name is Father.